0: The federal government now collects enormous amounts of data to inform decision-making and mission delivery. How best utilize the Internet of Things with agency databases? That is the topic of our discussion today. Welcome to The Digital Revolution, Workforce Impact, sponsored by Jacobs. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Our guests today are Michael Hogan, Standards Liaison in the Information Technology Laboratory at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Dean Salelis is Chief Technology Advisor to the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Dr. Karma Sawyer is Program Manager for Emerging Technologies in the Building Technologies Office at the Energy Department. Douglas Terrier is Acting Chief Technologist at NASA. And Larry Tellman is Vice President of Innovation at Jacobs Aerospace Technology, Environment, and Nuclear. Great to have you all. Really great crowd we have here today and we're going to be talking about the internet of things, digital strategies for agencies and really these affect network architectures, cloud, mobility but we're also going to talk about the human aspect of it, the training, cultural aspects so that agencies are equipped to deal with these types of technologies and we'll get to that later in the discussion. But why don't we start with Douglas at NASA. Give us a sense of, you know, I don't know where you begin with NASA, but give us a sense of the digital strategy and how you plan to use, which even for NASA, the the amounts of data coming in are ever growing because of the higher resolution of everything you launch. Yeah, it's
1: great to be with you this morning. Um, So first of all, we're, as you know, been at this business of space exploration for over 60 years. And when we look at the challenge ahead of us in the coming decades, we are going to be employing all the digital transformational technologies that we can to enable us to overcome those challenges. Uh, One of which, of course, is the Internet of Things. And um, we have strategies to deploy that across our enterprise and all of our operations terrestrially. But maybe something that's a little unusual relative to some of my colleagues is that we have essentially an Internet in space where we're operating all of the nodes on various planets and in our various space assets. And we currently have that Internet up and operational and growing and um, we consider that as an opportunity to deploy sort of an Internet of Things in space as we look at automating and um, optimizing the control and and operation of those assets as well. It's too bad we just can't overcome the speed of
0: light, then things would really be great. That's right. But I wanted to ask you, too, does this also apply to some of the more mundane assembly and test operations and so forth that happen right here
1: on Earth? Absolutely. In fact, my office is right now um, undertaking a study of what we call the digital transformation study to look at how we can apply digital technologies across all ranges of our operations in the design, development, and test of our systems, as well as in operations um, across the various operational centers, the launch facilities, and and, and mission control facilities. And as you can imagine, the amount of data that we're dealing with, data coming from those operation facilities, as well as the data we're manipulating coming down from our various assets on orbit um, and in space, is uh, growing exponentially and to really understand how to, to analyze and incorporate that into our decision making is a, a tremendous challenge for us. And then in just the infrastructure and operating the mundane things of of the, the physical footprint of our various 10 centers around the, the, the country, we're deploying as much as possible uh, smart devices, smart controllers, to make sure we have maximum efficiency in operating those sure. systems. And we should
0: point out you just
1: helped NOAA get their latest GOES satellite
0: right. headed right. to our geostationary orbit in a few months and uh, we'll be good to go on that one. All right, uh, Dean Salelis of ODNI, again vast, you probably can't tell us about half of them, but what, to the extent that you can, what is the IoT and what's the data strategy at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence?
2: Sure, Th- thank you for uh, for having me today. Um, so In the intelligence community, we always start and we end with mission, right? So the mission of the intelligence community is to make uh, this vast amount of data in the world understandable and to provide actionable insight on foreign intelligence threats to our national leaders, right? So in a world with potentially a trillion Internet-connected devices, in a world where um, already we've seen attacks from things like the Mirai botnet last year which turned our webcams and Mm -hmm. security cameras against us, um, uh, the foreign threat is real, right? And the foreign adversary is listening. And I like to say that when your internet-connected light bulb can listen to your conversation, you have a problem, right? So that's kind of the, the that's kind of the plate that the uh, intelligence community has served uh, on, on top of it. And so this expo- exponential growth in data means we've got to have new ways of looking at the data. We cannot hire ourselves out of this problem, uh, Director NGA recently said that by 2031, you know, he'd need some millions of analysts to look at the overhead imagery of the world. And so that's just, uh, in, that's just the data we intentionally connect, collect. If you think about the, the vast amount of open source information that's just being generated by the world and our collective ability to understand it is challenged. So we need to have new, da- new data strategies. Now, the, the intelligence community has for a number of years been investing in cloud technology. Um, um, we had a program that um, um, many people have heard of the uh, information technology enterprise, the I-C-I-T-E, or iSight. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about investing in cloud technology and big data analytics, uh, investing in STEM and our workforce. So you gotta look acro- kind of across all of those um, uh, planks to kind of figure out where the strategy is going. So we have an all of community strategy for um, you know, digital innovation and embracing the digital world.
0: Okay, we'll have to get into some of the details of how you even encompass all this data from a physical storage standpoint because that does affect the ability to use it. Let's move on to the Energy Department, Dr. Karma Sawyer. Uh, You're in the Buildings Area, which is a huge IoT and big data field really now.
3: Uh, Yeah, that's absolutely uh, 100% true, and so I I really want to thank you for inviting me today. This is a great opportunity to talk about the Internet of Things as it relates to buildings and building energy efficiency. So um, I think it's important to really try to understand the the scale of this issue when you start thinking about data. So every hour, more than 200,000 new devices get connected to the Internet globally. Um, And the U.S. market for that is the biggest by a factor of four it's increasing by 20% annually or more. An awful lot of those connected devices, those new connected devices are in buildings. So in the energy department, we're not trying to get our arms around every one of those connected devices. We're not necessarily that concerned about a internet connected doorbell. It doesn't have that big of an impact on energy. We're doing research to understand energy opportunities related to these internet connected devices. How do they enable consumers and buildings to provide services to the electric grid? Um, How do they allow us to reduce uh, peak demand at times of stress for the electricity grid so that we have a more reliable energy infrastructure? Um, What are the energy and the cost savings that are available because of these internet connected devices? How do they impact end users? How do they impact the larger electric system? And how do they benefit our country? So when you think about this, this data problem, it really becomes a challenge of scale. So we already hear with our partners in the private sector and federal agencies that have so many buildings that the sheer volume of data makes it not manageable. So as we start thinking about new sensors, collecting more data, your reference to light bulbs was fantastic. We have a very active space called connected lighting. We have a new connected lighting lab in Pacific Northwest National Labs. Lights aren't just light bulbs anymore, they're sensors. They're things that communicate to building energy management systems. Those then communicate to the electricity grid. And so it becomes a ton of data collected by, again, 200,000 new devices every hour globally. So we have to think about research opportunities to aggregate that data in a meaningful way. We have to think about what data is meaningful of that. How do we sift through it? Um, how do we utilize it with advanced control platforms that are cost-effective for buildings to implement? So it's a, it's a really rich opportunity from a research perspective, um, but you know, it's something you have to uh, go into with your eyes open on terms of the, the scale.
0: Interesting. Wow. So, a lot to talk about. And uh, Michael Hogan at NIST, you've always, your organization, I guess you too, have always been good at being just a step ahead of what federal agencies and really industry needs in terms of best practices, standards, and so forth, and there's something just out on all of this big data. Right. So, NIST has
4: in its name standards, and, and it's the Measurement Standards and Documentary Standards uh, uh, and, and so we're the nation's metrology lab for measurement science but the documentary standard side is important too as a, a Boeing uh, standards executive commented an airplane has hundreds of standards flying in very close formation and when I use that attribution in a presentation the audience gets agitated because they, they say surely that person meant thousands so well you know, So an airplane or a complex device like that is the implementation of hundreds or thousands of documentary and measurement standards. So uh, last summer, uh, an interagency group uh, that NIST is convening uh, to worry about, coordinate on cybersecurity standards decided of all the things we should be looking into with our finite resources, what, what should we be looking in first? And uh, the answer was Internet of Things. So we dived in last summer in an interagency way to see what we knew as agencies about the state of cybersecurity standards for the Internet of Things. And that culminated with a, a Valentine's Day release of our draft report where we hoped to get a lot of public comments to help augment what we thought we knew and get a better handle on on what is the state and, and basically the state is there's hundreds of standards out there that are germane to the Internet of Things for cybersecurity and, uh, and uh, some of them are well implemented and some of them are not well implemented so you, you need to have technically sound standards and then you need to have the market uptake of the technically sound standards so it's going to be a continuing work in progress with all the innovation but the threat surface of the Internet of Things being connected is, is magnifying, you know. We have to protect everything of the billions of things. And, uh, and somewhere in that uh, decision process is what set of standards are we going to use? Uh, require that the, the vendors and the consumers follow certain standards.
0: So this draft is out now and it's, open, it's for comment. For comment. Uh, open
4: for comment? Open for a 60-day comment period. I think it ends April 18th.
0: Okay, so plenty of time to get in on that. And I want to continue with the discussion of digital strategy. And I think a better way to talk about this than digital strategy, which is kind of a vague word, is I think what the successive administrations have meant and what successive congresses have meant when they're asking agencies to do this is really new applications both for internal use and for deploying to the public because all of our agencies in some way, even, even, the, uh, even the intelligence community, has some public facing uh, applications that it has, that it, that it deploys. So maybe we could talk about what the digital strategy is and try to bring it down to the application level,
1: either imagined or in the works right now. We can go back to you, uh, Douglas. Yeah, so NASA is, um, as I said, employing digital uh, technologies across the spectrum of our operation. And our strategy long-term is to really deploy those as quickly as and as efficiently as we can as we understand the implications of those. Of course, the challenge with that is, you know, has been mentioned, we're, 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 you know, we're looking at potentially having up to 50 billion devices connected on the Internet of Things by, by 2020. So that's a staggering amount of data, staggering amount of information to manage. We consider our network of, of things both on, uh, here on Earth and in space as a part of that. And in order to have that connectivity so we can make that data, first of all, translate what is an enormous amount of data into information and then into sort of decision aids is itself a challenge that we're working through, using a lot of artificial and intelligence uh, techniques and so on, data mining, et cetera. And then to make that available to the public through the various devices that are connected um, in the public sphere. And we've got to understand all of the um, security implications of that, the vulnerabilities of that, because after all, uh, I think that's the number one challenge um, ensuring that we have integrity and, and safety of operations in our case while having maximum a- access in that Internet of Things. Um, uh, kind of the end state you could imagine is where we've got a rover on Mars and um, you know uh, a, a, the public could have access to that data as it's, it's coming off and have the ability to interact with that device. You can imagine students being able to drive a rover on the moon uh, using their iPhones for example as as they would interact with other things on their internet um, com interact with a virtual version and not really touch the actual one so we've got to understand what that interface is the ideal would be to be able to have a, a you know some kind of buffer between those right so we have a strong firewall between what is the public facing which we kind of do on our internet today is how we manage a lot of that the data that we do provide to the public but to have that same interface with our our devices that are connected Okay,
0: and uh, Dean, you said you can't hire your way out, you know, of all of the possible uses of this data because it's so vast. So that, again, gets to how can you augment people's work with applications? What are some of the things you're thinking of under that digital strategy
2: umbrella? Oh, yeah, it's really, it's really broad. Um, and, again, if you get back to where we start with the mission of the, of the intelligence community, trying to understand the world, you can imagine that every technology that is used in the private sector has some analog in the in, in the intelligence community. We need identity. We need to understand who the identities of people uh, traversing our systems are, both their digital identities and their actual identities. We need to know who the people are that are uh, trying to practice foreign influence uh, uh, campaigns against us or who are taking cyber attacks. We need to understand their methods and how they operate. Um, and there are consequences across all the big IC missions, including the cyber mission, which you know is kind of obvious, right? Because cyber and um, the vast amounts of cyber data that is produced is a key component of this conversation. But also things like who are the actors and agents working on weapons of mass destruction across the world? Um, how are the terrorists using these technologies to? Um, um, in a, in a way that threatens us, right? And how do we counter those things? Uh, counterintelligence, foreign denial and deception and influence campaigns, and transnational organized crime. So no small plate of potential applications for these technologies broadly across the, across the intelligence community.
0: Okay, and before we get to the break, we'll go to Dr. Karma Sawyer. Uh, what can you see this internet of things, data producing in terms of applications that could help, say, a federal real estate manager?
3: Yeah, this is a a great question. So when we started looking into this space, uh, the first thing we did was really try to understand the energy impact for these type of new technologies, these suite of technologies, and building controls was where we started. So we undertook a study last year in partnership with Pacific Northwest National Lab to really get some numbers behind us. And what we found was um, there is the potential to eliminate 30% of energy consumption from commercial buildings just by deploying existing sensors and controls technologies in buildings. This is both from basic technologies and kind of the more um, advanced ones that are on the market. This includes reducing peak load at times of stress by 10 to 20%, and it equates to 4 to 5% of national energy savings, just from technologies that are not currently implemented in only commercial buildings. That doesn't even touch our homes, only commercial buildings. And so this helps us, at least for me, really understand the problem. If we already have these technologies, we've already said that this is, a, this is not something that's going to happen, this is something that is happening, and it still hasn't been broadly implemented in the private commercial building sector, not to mention the federal building sector. Um, so how are we gonna look forward looking at a research portfolio to think about how can we develop new technologies that won't meet that same fate? So in the Building Technologies Office, we are developing a strategy called Grid Interactive Efficient Buildings, that are tr- is trying to really come up with this cohesive strategy for developing new Internet of Things and digital strategies that will um, take advantage of where the market is, um, but help. Not repeat the mistakes that have already been made that have really um, caused us to not be able to take full advantage of this opportunity. Okay,
0: I'm going to stop you right there. We're going to take a quick break because I want to return to this, but we do need to take a break. Our guests today are Dr. Karma Sawyer, Program Manager for Emerging Technologies in the Building Technologies Office at the Energy Department. Douglas Terrier, Acting Chief Technologist at NASA. Larry Telman is Vice President of Innovation at Jacobs Aerospace, Technology, Environment, and Nuclear. Michael Hogan is Standards Liaison in the Information Technology Laboratory at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And Dean Salalis is the Chief Technology Advisor to the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is the Digital Revolution Workforce Impact, sponsored by Jacobs, here on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com
5: digitization is about fundamentally changing the way your organization does business. Take full advantage of the mega data generated to increase productivity, improve performance, and save money. Jacobs Connected Enterprise Solutions enables you to connect, protect, and analyze operational systems and data in ways never imagined just a short time ago. Jacobs, a global professional services leader delivering solutions for a more connected, sustainable world. Go to jacobs.com JCE to learn more.
0: Welcome back to our Our panel discussion, The Digital Revolution, Workforce Impact, sponsored by Jacobs, here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guests today are Michael Hogan, Standards Liaison in the Information Technology Laboratory at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, Dean Salalis, Chief Technology Advisor to the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Dr. Karma Sawyer is Program Manager for Emerging Technologies in the Building Technologies Office at the Department of Energy. Douglas Terrier, Acting Chief Technologist at NASA. And Larry Tellman, Vice President of Innovation at Jacobs Aerospace Technology, Environment, and Nuclear. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before with the break, we talked all about the promise of all of this and some of the applications, but it's not easy. And we should really talk about some of the challenges federal agencies face in implementing this, I, this IoT and big data strategy. And, uh, Michael Hogan, why don't we start with you, since you just published IoT standards. What does NIST see as some of the challenges to getting here and maybe some strategies for getting around it? Okay, so our,
4: dr- our draft report is looking at the state of cybersecurity standards to support IoT. It's uh, NIST Interagency Report uh, 8200, out for comment. Uh, we broke cybersecurity into 11 areas, uh, from cryptographic techniques to network security, going kind of alphabetically down to supply chain risk management, hardware assurance, software assurance in there. So I'll, I'll just look at a couple. Uh, uh, so we're using cryptography to secure in an IoT environment or any secure data at rest or in transit and to authenticate for digital identities, et cetera and messaging. Uh, So what's the the state knowing that these IoT components, many of them are not like other IT that has been deployed? Uh, Well, it turns out a lot of the IoT components can use uh, the advanced encryption standard. Uh, So it's not like, well, they're tiny and small and have finite processing, but they're they're capable of using AES. Uh, But others aren't. And so there's a bunch of the standards arenas doing cryptographic standards that worked on things like light cryptography for devices like IoT components that will have less processing power, less memory. So there's a nice set of uh, standards uh, developed there, but uh, we're, at the, we're not at the the implementation. The uptake in the market is to be determined. Our draft report we love to hear. We can tell you that this, the standard's been published, but we can't necessarily say what the market uptake is, or the prospects for the standard are, are. and and there's competitive solutions out there. Mm -hmm. And then for RFID technology, there's four uh, air encryption standards that have been published, and uh, we were able to dig down there and find out there's only uh, uh, two chip manufacturers, one supporting one out of four, one supporting another out of four. So it's really nascent that there's an implementation to the standards that the industry has written, and then uh, so we have it looks like we have the standards, literally on paper, uh, documentary standards done, but the the, the uh, which ones are going to be used and and how fast the uptake uh, remains to be determined, and then our thesis for network security is we got a lot of fine networking technologies out there that have been documented in standards and they have security in those, those interworking protocols. But it seems like there's a lot of attributes to uh, IoT uh, deployment, where it's not like your classic networks. So there, there's going to be a lot of devices added. It's not sure who the owner of the, the, the system is. An IoT system can be a, a system of sure. IoT systems. Uh, so with all the things that, that are on top of what you had to worry about in network security, it looks like maybe everything needs to go back and be revisited, whatever the Internet Engineering Task Force has done, whatever IEEE has done, uh, and other places, maybe it's time to go back and and, and look at sure. the, the the how the, the new use cases would impact the security features.
2: All right, so lots of standards, evolving standards, and, of course, the cybersecurity challenge. Dean? Yeah, what, what Michael just described is really important, right, because this is a lot like the beginning of the internet um, where there was a rush to provide capabilities with not a lot of thought to security and assurance, right, and these devices are coming online very, very quickly um, uh, and so the role of NIST in kind of establishing standards and then the role of industry in adopting those standards and making them safe is is really, really, really critical, right, so when I think about um, the challenges of facing this for the for the intelligence community. Again, the intelligence community, while some of what we do is in the dark, the problems that we have are the same as, ever, as everyone has. Big data, IoT, AI, machine learning, these all require major investments in digital foundation, right? If you're gonna actually tackle these problems, it's a standard hierarchy of needs, you know, the, the food and water um, for sustenance is the digital foundation. We gotta have high performance computing, We've got to have um, we've got to have you know the GPUs that are used for artificial intelligence. We've got to have the big data centers in order to store the data, and we got to have the people with the skills, right? The STEM skills. And right now, when um, the internet natives, when the Googles and the Microsofts and the Amazons of the world are paying big, big, big um, salaries to you know newly minted uh, uh, PhDs in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and data science government has a hard time competing with that. We have mission, right? We have the mission that we provide as a a big competition but we've got to invest in that that infrastructure. We've got to have uh, cloud computing and big data infrastructures. We've got to have the capability to do advanced analytics. We've got to have you know the, the modern era is all about data, right? You know, they talk about data as the new oil. I think it's the new oxygen, right? It's everywhere and pervasive, and we need to understand it better. And we need to um, uh, label it. We need to do better crowdsourcing of the data. We need to get that ground truth, uh, uh, ground truth in data. And then it's even more important that we invest in our people. We've got to provide opportunities for them to get more technologically sophisticated in the intelligence community in particular, because we you know require security clearances you know and, and half of the people in our in our uh, colleges and universities are foreign students we've got to really reach out to attract the US students and make it an attractive place to work so those those are what i think though. sure the so combination of
0: people technology storage and uh, standards yeah. uh, larry Tellman,
6: when you deal with agencies across the board what do you find to be their pain points it's uh, it's an interesting challenge, b- both from the government agency as well as our commercial markets. The the conversation around data, is is absolutely at the heart of all this. The the data is more valuable, and to our clients than the oil in the ground, for example, or or the mission that you're trying to conduct. You can't do it without the data, and the fundamental challenge that we've been facing for base in the whole digital age is how do we take data and turn it into information, and that is really driven by the client's problem sets that you all have that are somewhat unique. Uh, But there there are some common elements around cybersecurity and just the volume of data. The opportunities for us to provide those solutions um, really gets back to understanding the problem sets that you're dealing with. If it's a building and the energy around the consumption of a building, what better than the architects and the engineers that designed a building to help put those sensors and devices in there. When you're talking the intelligence community, what better challenge uh, uh, individuals to find those nuggets in that buried data than intel analysts themselves? And combining our uh, expertise in the domains that you all represent and in the technology is where we find the answers to most of those, those challenges. And you're absolutely right. Today's uh, difficulty in hiring people um, isn't going to get any easier for for agencies and for any organization. It, it's really going to get down to can you change fast enough to operationalize the data and the technology that's available today? And right now we're not. Um, we can't continue to organize ourselves into traditional time waterfall schedule, for example. We're going to have to evolve into an agile environment where we can try things, we can experiment, we can fail and learn and move on where the consequences um, allow for that and clearly in in man-rated missions to space and some of our uh, critical infrastructure nuclear and and, uh, chemicals the consequences of failure are so great you really have to be careful but taking where you can and evolving in an agile environment developing those solutions uh, helps both the organization to operationalize what they are um, attempting to deploy, our people to learn and become creative and grow in an environment that that really cherishes those those new ideas, Um, and then really gets back to the problem. Understanding the boundary conditions and the nuances of a problem make those answers, those solutions more effective.
0: Okay, and Douglas, I was thinking too that at NASA that must really come into play. You know, Michael mentioned the supply chain issue and the data generated there. And as NASA becomes more dependent on commercial partners for some functions that were very basic to NASA itself in an earlier space era, I imagine that whole data flow from what your partners are doing, because it's going to be NASA astronauts sitting on top of these things at some point, must really come into play as a big data issue and a cultural issue.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to overstate how disruptive this entire thing is going to be across the board in every field. And certainly, uh, as you mentioned, with our operations now um, expanding from what typically was a uh, very government, uh, maybe more more government-controlled, to now involving international, of course, we have 15 international partners today in the International Space Station. We anticipate expanding that in the coming years, as well as our commercial partners that are are coming on board with capability. And each of those, again, has to be treated as a node on the internet of operational capability. So, you know, I think the challenges that that um, my colleagues here have raised are exactly on point. Um, just the idea of understanding the various, there, there is this sort of Wild West approach this, where, where the market's being flooded with these devices at an enormous rate. Um, really appreciate the, the work NIST and others are doing to try to get our arms around those standards because There's just a plethora of protocols of um, wireless uh, communication standards that are being used. And in order to take full advantage of this, the key here is to be able to integrate all those devices and all that data, and to be able to mine that to get the the information and the, the decision aids that we, or decision data that we need. And that's gonna require for us to really Um, understand how to integrate across what are really various platforms, various protocols right now. We're doing inside NASA what we're doing to get our arms around that is we've set up a Internet of Things lab where in a controlled environment we can kind of try out some of these techniques to both monitor the the wireless comm among these various uh, devices so we can understand um, you know what works in our environment and how to better interface these and we can understand the vulnerabilities without First, before it's deployed into the wider system, so we're trying to do that in a controlled environment, and then adapt that um, across. And that goes for understanding what our vendors are using and our commercial partners, and so on. And so we're truly trying to experiment with that in a controlled environment before we fully integrate it into the, the full operational picture. But um, I think the the opportunity, uh, the challenge is certainly pretty steep, but the opportunity is just overwhelming. If I could give one example, one of the things that, it's pretty obvious when we say um, you know we can make Uh, physical um, heating and cooling and operating of of test stands, in our case, and so on, make work more efficiently. Um, Of course, there's the challenge of different kinds of jobs, different kinds of skills are going to be needed to uh, to really, uh, you know, take advantage of that environment. And um, I think Dean said it, you know, really getting our pipeline vectored around those kind of skill sets is one of the big things that that's really in front of us.
0: And that relates to what Dr. Sawyer was saying before the break, you have a whole new Paradigm, if you will, pardon the expression, of how buildings operate and the savings available. So, is it a? Uh, I mean, there's a cultural issue here. Who owns and operates the building? Is it the facilities department? Is it the, is it the uh, IT department, or is someone far away that's got 25 buildings at their console that they can control on their iPad?
3: Yeah, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. And I have to agree wholeheartedly with what the rest of the panel has said so far. Um, This is both a technical challenge. I mean, all all the things that Dean highlighted on the foundational technical needs um, in the intelligence industry sound a lot like the ones I would identify for buildings. And and they're not the ones that traditional building scientists and building engineers would have in their skill set. We're looking here at um, control systems that are um, integrated with enter- enterprise IT systems now. And that makes compelling economic sense for you go out and talk to building owners. It makes it easier to get a building energy management system when it's tied into the rest of the enterprise system. But that leads to security issues. Um, and so these are hard things to get your arms around. And they're not things that our people necessarily are skilled in. So when I look at the, the really foundational technical challenges we're looking at, they start looking at like sensors and controls. How do we develop fundamentally new building technologies that would have variable speed drives so you would provide different capabilities to the grid. Um, Those really require um, us to take a step back, look at our STEM education structure for engineers, mechanical engineers, those type of, um, of skill sets and think about, okay, how do we build on the, techno, you know, the technical skills we'll, we still need, you know, you still have to understand thermodynamics and heat transfer and all of those things, but you have to lay on top of it this very complicated control theory and modeling capabilities that allows you to take advantage of the connectedness that is, as we said, already, conf- it's here.
0: All right. Good place to take a break on. Lots more to go, though. Our guests today are Douglas Terrier, Acting Chief Technologist at NASA. Uh, Larry Tillman is Vice President of Innovation at Jacobs Aerospace, Technology, Environment, and Nuclear. Michael Hogan is Standards Liaison in the Information Technology Laboratory at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Dean Salelis is Chief Technology Advisor to the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. And Dr. Karma Sawyer is Program Manager for Emerging Technologies in the Building Technologies Office at the Energy Department. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is the Digital Revolution Workforce Impact, sponsored by Jacobs here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500
5: AM. Digitization is about fundamentally changing the way your organization does business. Take full advantage of the mega data generated to increase productivity, improve performance, and save money. Jacobs Connected Enterprise Solutions enables you to connect, protect, and analyze operational systems and data in ways never imagined just a short time ago. Jacobs, a global professional services leader, delivering solutions for a more connected, sustainable world. Go to jacobs.com slash jce to learn more.
0: Welcome back to our panel discussion, the Digital Revolution Workforce Impact, sponsored by Jacobs here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guests today are Michael Hogan, Standards Liaison in the Information Technology Laboratory at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Dean Salalis is the Chief Technology Advisor to the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Dr. Karma Sawyer is Program Manager for Emerging Technologies in the Building Technologies Office at the Energy Department. And Douglas Terrier is Acting Chief Technologist at NASA And Larry Tellman, Vice President of Innovation at Jacobs Aerospace, Technology, Environment, and Nuclear. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And Mr. Tellman, I want to start with you for this as we begin here, because we want to get into the human capital side of this and the cultural side of this that affects agencies. And again, as you look across the landscape of federal agencies and even commercial customers, what is their challenge in terms of the right people that can take this critically important issue, because this is not just a data and IT department issue, it's really a, an agency
6: issue, if you it, will. It's it's the entire workforce. I mean, if you break it down into the to the development and deployment of the technology, that takes a, a skill set. Um, and then, how to use the data? How do I change the way I'm doing my business today to take advantage of the information that's available? And it, they are fundamentally two different parts of the organization, or generally two different parts of the organization. But it really gets back to, to change management. How am I going to implement change in my business, in my, in my organization, in a way that will be effective? It's, it's, the data's there, the information is there, how can I operationalize it? And some of the fundamentals of, of change, um, some statistics that McKinsey reports that 30% uh, of change initiatives succeed, 70% fail, And it all gets back to the culture of the organization. So organizationally, are they prepared for the change? We, in our homes today, we use the the Internet of Things and the digital revolution, it's on our phones, it's in our homes, it's, it's in our cars, it's everywhere. But we haven't translated that necessarily into the work environment as pervasive as it is in our homes. Part of that is, as I mentioned earlier, culturally, organizationally, we're not suited for that agile adoption of technology yet we're getting there. So the workforce change management is fundamental to being successful in in operationalizing all this capability. We can we can educate and we do need to educate, we need to get more technical skills into our workforce, but we got to bring that creative spirit in. We got to bring that that those ideas that people think about into the workplace, try them, uh, deploy them, learn from the mistakes, and, and quickly accelerate the the implementation of those new capabilities that are that are on the shelf today that we just haven't deployed yet. So, it's really around change management. It's around having a workforce that's uh, empowered. It's inspirational leadership to, to find those people and and accelerate their their deployment of great ideas, and and take advantage of all the technology that's available today. That's frankly still untapped.
0: Okay, and Dean, you came from the private sector into the ODNI, and do you find there's really that much of a fundamental difference in workforces and culture and ability to adapt uh, in the two sides, or is it so more the technology?
2: People are the same everywhere, right? Private sector, public sector. The public sector challenges, right, are competing with the private sector. We are all operating in the same global economy. So, when the intelligence community is trying to hire computer scientists, we are competing with Microsoft and Google and Amazon, and a thousand dot com startups, and Baidu and Tencent in China. So we're competing for the same global workforce. They all go to the same universities. They get the same training. They have access to the same open source tools. So, and we're working under the paradigm of the government. Right. So we've got you know a salary structure that's different. We've got an incentive structure that's different. The advantage we have, particularly in the intelligence community, is mission. I can't think of a better mission than, you know, than keeping America safe, right, from, from, um, from uh, various kinds of, of foreign threats. So what are we doing in the intelligence community to try and kind of um, get at this problem? Number one, a few years ago there was no uh, career track for data science we didn't have you, you couldn't identify a person who is a data scientist so, so all our agencies today have data science career tracks in fact we have chief data officers at all of our agencies today when just a few years ago there were none um, we have training programs that are focused on improving the overall digital IQ of our entire workforce so mm-hmm. uh, at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency um, anyone can now take a Python class and learn the basics of Python programming. And all of that just helps improve the overall IQ of the workforce in the whole digital area. We partner with universities, Um, uh, we fund advanced degrees in information technology, Uh, we partner with industry using internships and externships, and we tap the resources of our national laboratories. So we're trying to get at the workforce um, issues from a whole bunch of different uh, a whole bunch of different aspects. And you know we have to grow it internally. We know we're not going to completely hire our way out of it. We have to make it a more attractive place to work. We have to make it easier to work for the government. And those are those are the things we're doing.
1: Douglas. Oh yeah. I mean, at NASA I mentioned, we're doing a, a digital transformation study right now as a strategy to deploy across the the enterprise. And we are partnered with the Office of Human Capital and our workforce development folks for the very reasons that the panelists have said. So I think one of the things important to to bring out though is that this is not a single time event transformation because as these technologies exponentially Uh, Grow around us. We'll see the workforce changing perhaps every 10 years at least and maybe more often as time goes on So it's a continuous process of trying to retrain and re-educate and and we're working very close with our university pipeline STEM pipelines to make sure we're Feeding that information back to them in terms of how they prepare students for what is going to be a very dynamic and agile environment that they're entering um, and it's, it's not, obviously, we need to have the right capabilities in-house to be able to take advantage of the digital uh, capabilities available to us. But it's, it's also something that cascades out to, to every aspect of society. So if, just to give one quick example, um, you know, obviously, we've got um, many different devices, uh, you know, communicating across the, across the spectrum of, of life right now. One of the things we're doing at NASA is working with the FAA on automating the national airspace system. So most people are aware that... Today, airplanes um, you know, are equipped with uh, satellite uplinks. They provide on condition maintenance uh, data back to satellites that's then fed down to their, their ground operations center, and they have you know, spares mm-hmm. and so on waiting if there's a problem uh, ahead of time. Um, that's an automation that's uh, automating a, a process that used to be handled by you know, very traditional maintenance operations and so on. Um, the, the same is true of how we actually operate aircraft and airspace system, because now it's aircraft being able to sense their environment, and then couple that data with the uh, weather reporting and ground stations and, and provide that into decision making to, to literally uh, determine the, the path, the most efficient path for airplanes to fly. Great advantage because we can get tremendous efficiency improvements without any fundamental physical technology change in the aircraft, but it me- it's huge implications to pilots and what their role is, and ground maintenance folks and operations folks. So, so it cascades through all areas of society. Yes.
3: Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: you yeah. <laughs> look
1: like you're ready to jump
3: there. <laughs> I am. I'm, I really have resonated with a lot of the comments that the, the rest of the panelists have said. Um, this space in particular, um, Internet of Things, has it's been interesting to watch the staff within the Department of Energy, um, the Building Technologies Office, think about their mission and the strategy that we take to um, approaching that mission in this new internet connected world. Because like you said, uh, Douglas, it, it cascades. So for many years, the, the staff in the Building Technologies office has been thinking about saving energy, reducing the total um, impact for our buildings and our larger energy system. Um, but now with all the, all of this connectedness, not only does it require them to have more different computer science type skills, um, but they have to think about whether that's really a holistic representation of our mission anymore. Now it's not just about saving energy, it's about making buildings more flexible so that they can have a more interactive role with the larger energy system. So, you know, you have to take a step back and think a lot more. We are a mission-driven workforce. Um, the people I go to work with every day are, uh, are they're eager, they're chomping at the bit to, to do their work, um, and it's changed. It's changed because of the market and because of all these cascading effects. And so I think we, um, that's fantastic, I think, and I've watched them all really grow into it, but I think we need to acknowledge that because of the unique role the public sector has um, in being mission-driven, um, it means you have to look at these things, I think, a little bit Differently.
0: And Michael, when you get comments in, I mean, who comments on NIST documents? Because that's probably a clue as to where the interest is in all of this.
4: Well, uh, we hope to get comments from uh, industry associations, standards developing organizations, like why, why, did, why didn't you put our standard in here? Uh, and, uh, and so the, the, the U.S. standard system is uh, different from many other countries. We're bottom-up, we're Lazy Fair, we're Cowboys and Indians. It's private, most of the standards developers are uh, private sector organizations. It's not top-down government. And so uh, we as agencies worked on this report and we, 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 we feel that we're the junior partner in getting these standards done with the private sector. So the private sector, we need to hear from them in all their manifestations. Uh, the last report we did, uh, we, we heard from a lot of uh, standards developers and, and industry associations. And you could see some multinational companies got the same comments in every venue. And that's good. They're energized. They're interested. They want to get things clarified. So I think that's good. With respect to the workforce, these are technical standards dealing with technical issues. There's one area that we do. is called information security management systems, which is in the, in the federal government. is FISMA but there's like the ISO 27000 series for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that has a lot of security controls for this, that, and the other, but it also includes the people that are in your workforce have to be trained so they don't, you have done everything right except somebody gives up their password inadvertently. Okay, so, so these standards can address having a more savvy workforce. We're gonna have trouble having more savvy, small and medium enterprises because they don't have IT departments, and we're going to have trouble having savvy citizens. So just like you learn how to manage your credit card, you're going to have to learn how to manage your IT for security. So the standards are not a panacea for everything, but, but they are a necessity for, sure. for large organizations to be secure.
0: And, Larry, you mentioned change management and the failure of too many of the change uh, uh, efforts that start in organizations, also creative spirit. Where does this start in an agency? When you're dealing with an agency, who's got to make sure this all happens? It's maybe not the CIO necessarily.
6: It, uh, it, while there is a blurring between the CIO and your chief technology officer and the chief data scientist, it really it, uh, it starts at the top. Where's the vision that the organization or the agency is headed? Setting the, the expectations of the, of the organization and the culture really that's reinforcing the kinds of behavior and the, and the, um, the generation of new ideas and the risk taking kind of culture. It starts at the top and uh, it, it creates an opportunity for people to come to work and be excited as, as you mentioned. They, they want to be part of the mission. That vision is set by the leadership.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So in the in the IC, uh, DNI Coates, uh, Principal Deputy Director Gordon, have kind of set the stage for this whole area of, of big data, Internet of Things, AI, and machine learning as one of the priorities for the community. And having that kind of executive leadership at the executive committees and the deputies committees of the agencies is really really critical to getting the kind of change you want. But for government in general, we got to do better um, in a whole bunch of ways. We got to work on acquisition reform so that we make it easier for the private sector to do business with us because a lot of what we do, we contract out, right? And we make it hard for the private sector to work with us. We got to have better data policies. uh, you know, even within the intelligence community, a big focus of what we do is, is focused on civil liberties and privacy. And understanding that in the Internet of Things is critical. We, we've we got to engage the security and counterintelligence community broadly. We've got uh, to really work these workforce talent areas that I talked about before. we got to work the cultural issues. Um, and we got to work business and mission workflows and change management. Those are all big, big things that we've got to work on in order to, in order to um, face the challenge brought on by this just vast amount of data that's in the world today and our ability to understand and make sense of it.
0: Yeah. So Douglas, would you agree this takes really from the administrator level because this is not just deciding whether to change to this kind of tile or that kind of tile on the side of the craft.
1: But this is really much more fundamental is the sense I'm getting. It is fundamental to, to the culture. I think that's a good word to use. And we fortunately, in fact, we're having a meeting tomorrow on this subject among the leadership at NASA um, and really looking at it in a, in a you know global sense about how we really incorporate all the digital technologies that promise to, to transform the way we operate and every federal government operates, every government agency. Uh, and, and I, I, I really... I agree and resonate with the idea that it has to start, though chief technologists, state officers, CIOs are all very much all hands on deck, but it has to be a vision from the top of the the agency, whatever organization, commercial or government, that this is truly, um, changes the entire fundamental culture of the organization. So it has to be top down. Okay,
0: final uh, question. You have 60 seconds to uh, Dr. Sawyer. Do you think the final uh, turn off the light sticker can finally go away because this is all gonna be automated?
3: You know, uh, that's the that's the core question, right? That you start to get at in this space. So you gave me an easy one, right? Um, No, I mean I think people are still here, right? And and you can't um, you can't make you can't forget them, right? Buildings, um, you know, the the world we live in, it has been created for us, and so uh, we can't we have to understand how building how the individuals in buildings interact with all of these new systems. So the sticker, maybe it will evolve to a new app or a notification on your phone or something I've never thought of, but uh, we um, we can't create these things without human beings, otherwise they will not be utilized to their full potential.
0: All right, good place to conclude the discussion. Excellent discussion, I want to thank today's guests. Michael Hogan is Standards Liaison in the Information Technology Laboratory at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Dean Salalis is Chief Technology Advisor to the Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Dr. Karma Sawyer is Program Manager for Emerging Technologies in the Building Technologies Office at the Energy Department. Douglas Terrier is acting chief technologist at NASA. And Larry Tellman, vice president of innovation at Jacobs Aerospace, Technology, Environment, and Nuclear. And I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. For more information on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com. Use the search term Jacobs. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, The Digital Revolution, Workforce Impact, sponsored by Jacobs on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Jacobs.